Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back, Francistans. I'm so grateful for all the incredible feedback I've received from you over the last week from our latest episode. The throwback episode for this week is Primary and Secondary Infertility with Keshet Star. If you'd like a second throwback, we have another infertility episode that I will link in the show notes as well. Today's episode is about adoption, as you may have seen in the title. I do want to let you know that there was a technical issue that we discovered after the recording, so I had to use a backup recording for this. So this episode might not sound as clean edited as you might be used to. You should also know that two adoptees reached out separately asking to share in this podcast. So this is episode one of two. Our sponsor for today did not submit the information on time, so I will get her in next week. And if you're thinking, hey, how can I support Francisca? Guess what? You can be a sponsor on the show. You can dedicate a future episode to someone who has passed. Of course, if you'd like to contribute, but not in a monetary way, you can just spread the word and tell a friend about the show. And this is how you can support me as well. And instead of a promo today, I'd like to use this time to do a shout out to one of our listeners, Hill Beerbrier who, after listening to the episode with Sahaba Wolf on the update that's needed in advice for from women, Hillel reached out to say that he would like to offer an open invitation for anyone who is looking to upgrade their career and would like some help. So Hillel is someone who went from the mirror to Jewish education to an MBA and now a very corporate job. He's happy to help people out with intros, reviewing resumes, and whatever someone may need, he has an open door policy. So this is just some of the good that happens from this podcast. And I wanted to use a promo spot to do this shout out because we like helping people. We like finding solutions to some of the issues and complications that we have due to our lifestyles as Orthodox Jews. So thank you, Hill, for your generous offer. So if you are interested in taking him up on this offer, please message me and I will connect you. And here we go. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Francisca Show, France Dance. Today on the show, we're here to talk about a personal story firsthand about being adopted as a from, from birth person. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. Thank you for reaching out and offering to share your story. It's, it's so important to share stories like these, and I'm excited to hear yours. So let's start however you feel the story begins for you. So the story begins when I was 16. I was in a modern Orthodox high school in Brooklyn. It was in the, towards the summer, so like taking finals. And I have one brother. He was, he's married. My sister-in-law called me after school one day. And she said, we want to go visit grandma and, you know, also who lived in Brooklyn. And I said, sure, you know, she was bringing my nephew, you know, cute little toddler. Yeah, why not? So we go to grandma. She was like 90 something. She's like just a beautiful old lady. And she makes a, like a joke, a comment. She was said, referring to me, I'm tall, dark and handsome. So being a teenager and whatever, like to say weird stuff, I said, my parents, Ima and Abba, they're not tall. So, like, why are you calling me tall, dark, and handsome? I'm not, I'm not tall. I'm not like them. Like, 
I must be adopted. So then basically that's when things started to come apart. My sister-in-law, she obviously knew. Hold on. Uh, yeah. So did your grandmother say anything back to you when you made that joke? When you say everything started? To... Not really. She didn't really know what to say, I guess. I mean, it's like probably not her place, you know, to fill me in on everything at that moment. Like, she you know, she just, you know, things just like washed over from that generation. Just like didn't really like face her what I was, you know, the joke that I made and what the ramifications that would have. So she didn't really like respond to it in any way. Not that I remember, but my sister-in-law definitely had a very visible reaction to what was going on. And then the story went on. What's going on? You made a yeah. comment or and somebody confirmed the comment for you? My sister-in-law thought that when I made that comment, I knew, like I had figured it out what was going on. And I knew that I didn't look like my parents, so like I'm not related to them. And apparently I'd been making comments like this for a while. So she started, like, she went into the bathroom, like, she was crying. She was calling my brother, telling him that, like, I think he knows something. And, you know, he just said this very strange thing. My brother said he was going to come to talk to me. He wasn't around. But obviously my sister-in-law wasn't going to break the news to me in my face. Like, my brother wanted to come to be the one to do it. We were very close at that point, And we're still very close. He's 12 years older than me, which also, you know, we're a very big age difference. I was like joking with my sister-in-law, like we were leaving my grandmother, getting into the car, and I made a joke like, oh, I, was I like born a, a girl or something? Like, I don't know, I had like this thing, like, okay. I don't know, I had this idea in my head. Meaning I always felt, I always felt different, which was, you know, a little strange. But she was like laughing, like I was trying to, you know, make jokes, make her feel better and also like myself feel better because I knew something was, something was taking place. So there was a span of a few hours after that interchange at my grandmother to when I sat down with my brother and he actually told me what was happening um, or what had happened. Do you want me to go into that? Sure, just give us in a few sentences. Or what had happened. So we basically came to my parents' house. My parents did not want to be there when I found out. It was too much for them. My brother was doing something that was like not really in line with what they wanted. They didn't, didn't want me to know at all. And I sat down with my brother and he's like, you know, ask me anything you want about your past, about what you think. I knew obviously what was happening. So I asked him, am I adopted? And he said, yes, which I didn't really expect. I don't think none of, none of the parts of my conscious brain was actually expecting that to be a reality. I had a very, I mean, good relationship with my parents. I was a baby. They, you know, gave me like pretty much whatever I wanted. And they loved me. My mother, like she had a lot of love, almost like more, more than normal type of love that she had for me. And so I was not really expecting that. I knew that it was coming to that, but I didn't really, wasn't ever really a possibility in my head. It's a weird dichotomy because I always, I always felt something was different. Could you up, give examples besides, or is it um, only looks? What do you mean only looks? Well, like, like in terms of you're, you're dark or tall. The example you just brought up with your grandmother, th- that I, clearly I mean, stood out. Right. So I guess that, I, I mean, I ignored. Also, like, I don't know, I have dark hair. My adopted mother has dark hair. So I just like, 
I made it like I just made sense. Like, okay, I have dark hair, she has dark hair, and some things don't match, but one thing does match, so like I'll focus on that. But there was always that tension in the house and in the conversations when these things come up. You know, every family has these types of conversations, these types of jokes and these types of, you know, like, oh, like he must be adopted or like, you know, where did he get that from? Where did he get this from? Those comments were always very taken like very seriously and quieted when those things used to come up around my family. And as me and my brother were coming closer together in age and maturity, then those jokes and things started to actually you know, make him uncomfortable and make him feel more guilty that I was saying something that I really didn't know what I was saying. And the plan was never to tell you or to wait till you bring it up? Do they have a plan, your parents? My mother said she was never going to tell me, ever. She wanted me to be her child. Like, no, she, she told me that. My father, he really was, you know, subjugated to her will because obviously he being a husband, but he knew that it wasn't right. He never did anything about it, but he was always talking to rabbis, talking to people, trying to figure out like, what should he do? What should he do? What should he do? I don't know what would have happened with that in the future, but I mean, my brother felt that, you know, it was time and he did it. Sounds weird. I'm thankful to him that he did it. I'm also, you know, very angry that he did it. I was very angry back then. And, you know, Why were you angry? there was a, like a little bit of a, I guess you would say a fight when I found out my parents had come back to the house after my brother had that conversation with me. And there was a, my father said something to my brother and my brother got very upset and basically he left. We still talk about it. Like he dropped the bomb and then like he just left. And like, I was just like, there's no professional, but like not even, you know, he couldn't even stay to like come for me or talk to me. So that was a big point of anger that I had for a long time. And remind me how um, old you were when you got that. I was I was 16. Okay. So you um, have this conversation, then your brother leaves. That was very traumatic. And also it was just, you know, this was like the, the dirty, the, like, I mean, this was the secret. This was the fight. And, you know, like my mother, like she could, like I remember like right after I had found out, like she couldn't look at me. Like that was, that was very hard. You know, her bubble was burst. Her reality that she wanted to keep was not true anymore. We did heal from that, but it was never, never the same. My father, like, we went on a walk that night. Like, he was trying to be somewhat of a comfort or somewhat of a listening to, like, what I was going through or whatever. He gave me, like, a whole story about, like, how I came into their life and how beautiful it was and, you know, all the events leading up to it. Can you give was, us some details? Yes. Yeah, they had second, second child infertility. And they went through everything that people in that situation have to go through. And they came to adoption and it took them, it took them years to be able to adopt me. And he's telling me that I was apparently the, all the systems of adoption in New York had just switched to computer. So when they were matching children to families, it was, it was like by a computer match. So they, he was told that there was a, that, that I was the computer match for them. Like my name came up with their name and that's how they got the call, which is, Definitely amazing. Not not exactly what I needed to hear at that moment, but... What did you need to hear um, at that moment? The situation could have been handled more, I guess, gently. And, you know, like with a psychologist, with a social worker, with a, I don't know, a mentor, with something like that. Even a rabbi, like anything. But, you know, it was just like kind of between us and the family dynamics and things were just getting not nice when my parents 
spoke to my brother. And in terms of like what I needed to hear, I mean, I was definitely angry. I was just, I was, it was, tra- it was trauma. It was just like, I need, I just need time to like breathe. I need time to get my thoughts. I need, this is like a life, a life changing event. Feel it's okay to feel like, you know, things are up in, up in the air and not stable. And, you know, everything that you thought is really not true. But my father was able to tell me some things about my birth family, which is something I definitely needed to hear more of. I was very, very thirsty for information about what happened with them and, you know, why, obviously, why I was given up and why I didn't live with them and all those types of questions. Can you give us um, some more information on what you found out? So, First of all, were they Jewish? So, yeah, they were Jewish. So that that's why I didn't have to, like, do... I mean, my parents, right. yeah, my parents didn't think I needed to do Geras Bahamra. <laughs> so that's why I never got formally told about it as I was growing up. The reason on paper why they gave me up was simply because of emotional, mental issues, which is something I was told probably the day or two later, after, like when I found out, I knew it, I knew it the whole time. But even when you're told that, you don't, you don't really know what it means you understand a little baby and like what does emotional issues really mean like they were having a bad day like they couldn't you know they want to change diapers like what so that took me a very long time to come to understand what that meant and what the serious of that meant but as an immature 16 year old it didn't really make sense to me and that's why I think the search and, and the journey was so is so important for adoptees like myself just to come to our own understanding of what it means that they gave you up and come to a some sort of peaceful and, and real understanding of that. I carried those words through, that was my story, you know, like I knew my birth parents couldn't take care of me because of mental illness. What that means, I have no idea. Now I know a little bit more about what that means from living and being around the block and seeing different people and talking to different people. Could you share more and, about what that means for you? What do you understand more of now? I mean, I'll just fast forward to the sure. three years ago, I found out who they were, which was a whole, whole nother story. We can talk about that in a second. But I found out my birth father passed away around three, four years ago. And I found out through like a relative of my birth father's through email three years ago. He died like six years ago. So I only found out three years ago. He died like six years ago. So I... I like I went, I went nuts. I mean, I didn't go nuts, but I, I went nuts to find out information, to find out what happened, like what. And I got in touch with someone who's now my aunt, basically, and also a cousin of my father's who I'm in contact with. And basically they found his body in the East River. They have no idea what happened. But obviously it couldn't, I understood that it probably had a lot to do with his mental illness. He had a very serious mental illness that, I, the term that I was told was paranoid schizophrenic. So apparently, like, not always in control of, you know, you think people are chasing you or whatever. So when I understood that and saw, like, how he died, it started to seep into my head, like, you know, how limited they were. I wouldn't say that brought me to peace with it, but it just helped me understand more. You started looking into who your birth parents are at the time. And where did you get, did you ever get to meet your birth mother? I never, I was, 
So when I first found out, one of, one of the very good things my adopted parents did was they allowed me to write letters to my birth parents right when I found out, right when I was 16. So we had six, seven, eight letters over the course of two years, which was nice. Like I was very cautious about what to say. And what, I wasn't just going to write them a letter and say, like, why'd you give me up? I wanted to, like, try to build up some sort of relationship and try to, like, coax some sort of information out of them. Like, simple stuff. What do you look like? What are you into? Like, I'm a musician. Do you play music? Where's our family from? We're in the world. Like, Holocaust, no Holocaust. So those were the first letters, just getting to know, like, my simple history, my, my grandfather's history and all that. In terms of my birth mother, he related to me his family story. They were from the Holocaust. They were from Poland. They, like, eight siblings. They, like, seven survived. But about my birth mother, he didn't really share so much, which was interesting. But I never got to meet my birth mother. She's also very limited in terms of her mental illness, like, very extreme mental illness. I would love to meet her. It just would have to be very careful type of situation. But it doesn't really look like I'm ever going to meet her. That's what my, my aunt has been telling me for a while. When you um, say aunt, biological aunt or adoptive aunt? My birth mother, she grew up with a sister in her family, but they were both adopted from separate families. So they grew up in the same family, but they were not related. So my mother was also an adoptee, which I found out also like three years ago. When I got in touch with this aunt who grew up with my mother. As an adolescent, you have this big new reality change. The reality always existed, but now it has entered your conscious state of living and it shatters a lot of your foundational beliefs and it shatters all those beliefs and you have to sort of rebuild it and start from scratch. What does your social life look like, your academic life, and then your Um, religious life? How does that start affecting that? My social life, I had... A few very close friends in the school. We were in a band together. I had a second home with my best friend, and I went over there all the time. We had our group of friends, and we, it was fine. It was great. My friends really helped me through that time. Did you share uh, that with him when you found out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. My, my, my close friends knew what happened. And do you feel um, like they were able to understand and relate a little bit, or they just made some jokes and moved on? Was that helpful yeah, to share I mean, it with them? I mean, in the beginning, it was just like jokes and, you know, like move on. But, you know, they were with me throughout the whole process of me finding out who my birth parents were and all, all the little details. So we did grow together as friends. We wrote songs about it. Okay, then academically, <laughs> then terms, did I change? Yeah. yeah. Academically, I don't know. How, I, I don't remember how I got through high school, honestly. I'm still... I still think about it sometimes. Not really sure how how I got through. So like it was sometimes I have dreams. Yeah, it was very challenging. But I had a, the principal, the manal of the school was extremely accepting. So that that helped a lot. I mean, definitely that first day, I just could not like focus on anything. Like I had the the day I found out, I had a reasons prep class, which was just like not really the best thing for me. I feel like I'm a lucky adoptee. I was able to find my birth parents. Find, at least find out who they were. A lot of adoptees have no way of finding out anything about their past. And my parents nurtured my relationship with my birth parents. They wrote letters. I wrote letters to them. And then they were very encouraging. And certain things they wouldn't give me information about. But like what? Money, they didn't tell me who they were. So 
So I was pretty much in the dark for six, seven months about who they were until I was able to put the pieces together by myself. Do you resent them for doing that or do you understand where they were coming from? I mean, I think at the time I was pretty resentful. This is my information. I want to know it. But I, I, I mean, I understood what they were doing. My, my birth parents were, they lived very close to where I grew up. And my father always told me that, like, we were afraid that you would just hop on a train and just go there. So that's why they, they felt that, one of the reasons why they felt that I shouldn't know. But when I found out, I, I didn't jump on a train to go find them. I was very cautious. I was very gradual with all my, it's a lot like the adoptee has to think about all these things, just think about the other person and how it's going to affect them. And even for myself, not to go so fast into the new territory. Religious experience, was that affected at all? I was already, I guess you'd say, on the downhill at that point in my life. Growing up FFP, doing things that not really understand anything, what you're doing. That was definitely part of it. This gave me an idea, like, is Hashem like, out to get me or something? Like what, you know, like, what did I do to deserve this type of, like, insanity? That was one thought, which didn't help religious observance. But on the other hand, it, it did open up my mind for more possibilities. If Hashem could do something like this, like it feels like this is going somewhere. It feels like the story is being taken somewhere. So that does seem some. At the same time, it seems chaos, but in a different way, it seems like a direction that I'm being brought in. So that made me stronger and made me more open to a relationship with God and the Torah and all that stuff. And I say in hindsight that, that the trauma of finding out was something that really allowed me to be susceptible to what would happen in Israel later in Yeshiva. And, you know, what that happened so, in, his, in I mean, Israel? I mean, <laughs> I firmed out. I got, got very serious and got more religious. I got into it, you know, got excited about about learning, got excited about doing mitzvahs and being that person. Did you ever go to therapy? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, also when I, when I found out I was adopted, my parents sent me to a therapist who kind of specialized in adoption, but not really, meaning she was really on the adopted parent side of the equation. She tried to help me. I don't have any recollection of pretty much a year of therapy that happened then. And then Israel, I finally found the therapist too fit for me. And yeah, I've been going to therapy ever since. And now you're a married adult and a parent. Talk to me yeah. about how that experience has changed your perspective. Do you judge your parents or do you wish your parents raised you with the reality that you're adopted? Are you able to understand your adoptive parents more now that you're a parent meaning them not telling me meaning as a 16 year old you were limited in terms of your perspective understanding capacity for compassion and all that now that you're an adult and a parent do you see their side and not yet i mean i, I don't think i've ever had that thought <laughs> um, so you still hold resentment for that decision a little yeah yeah Talk to me about your relationship now with your parents and do you ever talk about it or is it like the thing you don't talk about ever, but you go for Shabbos or for Yentif or whatever arrangement you have? Maybe you don't talk to your um, parents anymore. No, I, I do talk to my parents. My, my, my adopted mother was 
actually passed away two years ago, but we, we had a very a more open relationship about, I think about everything. You know, we were able to talk about what was going on for me and how I was doing and, you know, my story with my birth parents and with my history, which is, was amazing. They were open to talking about it. But there was, you know, me coming to Israel and me staying in Israel, that was something which was extremely hard for them. And that also caused a tremendous strain on the relationship, which we had to work on and we had to come to terms with. I think getting married made it much, much easier for them to accept that I was living in Israel, having this life away from them. The relationship, I think, was healed to a certain extent. You know, my mother stood, she stood firm to what she said. You know, she said, I wouldn't, but I would have never told you. You know, she wanted to protect me. She wanted me to have a normal life. I mean, in terms of, if you're asking, like, I, with my kids, like, I, of course, I want to protect my kids. So here's my question How do you feel your life is not normal having this information? Because um, technically speaking, I, for anyone who's never experienced this or had anyone in their life experience this, Nothing should change because you were raised in a beautiful family with two loving parents who wanted the best for you. So now that some new information came about, how does that change things now? I mean, it depends what type of person you are. I mean, I feel like I'm the person who I wanted to know more about my birth family. I wanted to get involved with my birth family. family. Some people don't want to do that. Some people do not want to. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to question. They just want to go forward in life. Just, I think it depends on who you are. I don't have so much contact with so many adoptees. I'm trying to have more experience with them. You take it or you leave it. You know, you can choose to leave it or you can choose to run with it. My question is, how do you feel different? You said have a normal life. So what do you feel about an adoptive child who knows that he's adopted or she's adopted? What makes them less normal? That's my question, I guess. It's like a sense of stability. It's a sense of, I feel like we adoptees think that people who grow up with their biological parents, you know, they just have this sense of stability. They just have this sense of things just make sense. Things are right. You know, I'm where where I belong. I think that people who grow up in biological homes, that's what they have. They don't have to question their origins. They don't have to question where they come from. Where's this from? Where's this trait from? Even the medical, like, most adoptees don't know the medical history. I'm sorry if I'm pushing too much and if it's too triggering, you tell me we'll move on, but I'm just, I'm poking the curiosity bear here, if that's okay. If you think of your life, if your birth parents would have kept you, what kind of life would you have had? Don't you think, oh, I'm so grateful that I ended up being raised by a family that is able to take care of me? 100%. That was... I think the first meeting I had with my, my Rebbe, my Rosh Shiva, he told me that. That's the point he told me. Was that comforting? Um, in a way. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it was comforting, but it's, all, it's like a bedrock premise. They saved your life. That's the story. You know, your parents saved your life, and they caused you to have a, an incredible life. It deepens the gratitude a lot. You know, it makes you, it's something that you have to, you have to come to terms with and you have to try and let that knowledge influence the way you act towards them, which is something that's, that's very hard with all these negative feelings of resentment and, you know, why don't you tell me and betray and 
all those other feelings are still there and the anger, but you know that they saved your life. And that's, that's the reality. Do you wish they had raised you, your adoptive parents, do you wish they raised you with the reality of you knowing? No, I don't. Why? Because I had a normal childhood. I had 16 years, which I was completely normal, relatively. But I, I, I grew up happy. I didn't have all the feelings that I have post-16. I didn't have those feelings. You know, I wasn't wondering about my birth parents and, you know, like all the things that that triggers and abandonment issues. I understood I was a normal kid and my parents loved me and I didn't have any doubts about it. And I grew up like every other kid in my class. They had their parents and I had my parents. Whether or not subconsciously I knew something else was going on is a different, that's a different question. But I, I don't wish that I knew. I think that finding out when I did caused me to be the person I am t today, which I am happy with. And even after I found out, I had a few friends who were adopted and I tried like to go to them for advice. You know, like you guys are, have been living this your whole life and you know it. And they had nothing to say. What, not, how not so? Something because they, they grew, grew up, up knowing. knowing. And, you know, I think it was more also international type adoption. That makes things harder. But me finding out when I did, you know, it made it something that I had to deal with. And I still have to deal with. You know, I, I was forced to step up to the issue and look it in the face and try to come to some terms with it. So hypothetically, if you ever adopted a child, <laughs> you would not want them know. knowing. That's a different question. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> that all, all the professionals say that you need to tell the child. All the professionals in the field, just they, that's what they say. You need to tell them as soon as they are able to understand it. And then they live up, they live with it. And you don't have that trauma of, and then finding out, but I would do it in a way that he would, he or she would be able to explore it and to be able to try to, you know, if they're into exploring it and if they're into coming to peace with it, and you know, that's something that they should be able to do. I might even force them to go and face it because I see how much, how much it does for a person. Talk to me about the relationship with your wife when you were dating. Do you feel like that's something you had to bring up? It was a big part of your identity you had to bring up as soon as anything got a little serious. Like, how did your identity affect yeah. dating? Yeah, so it was definitely like that, like you said, when things got serious, like that needed to be told. So did you have any Which, previous serious relationships where you told the person you're dating uh, and it didn't work out? I don't think so. Was that I something you shared with Shat Khanim in advance? Was there concern that you would be rejected for that information or it was just very personal Oh, I wasn't really concerned about being rejected. I'm trying to think back. I don't even remember really being such an issue. Maybe I was told not even to tell the Shalchanan. I really don't remember. I wasn't set up with the normal, you know, like a Saradina Katz Shalchanan. <laughs> I see you're up um, to date on the Francisca show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my wife also went to her. So my shit up was made through like just mutual friends. So they didn't really need to get into the nitty gritty about, you know, all the background information. They just like, you know, friends she's vouching. from Brooklyn. Yeah, she's from Brooklyn. He's from Brooklyn. You know, like, sounds good. So and at one point, did you bring it up? And I what was that fourth, like? The fourth, yeah, so the fourth date, for me, it just bringing it up really just solidified, you know, everything I was feeling towards my wife. What does that mean? Like that, you know, 
like I feel comfortable telling it to her and I felt good to discuss it with her and I think it just it propelled it propelled the relationship forward it didn't she didn't get scared she's also an out of the box type of person so it wasn't like oh my god oh my god oh my god it was just more like she had a curiosity of what what it was like for me so that was very I we have a very positive experience with it which uh, I'm very grateful for you did mention you're a listener of the show, so you might have heard episodes on infertility, episodes on abortion, yeah, or the one episode we did so far. Are you triggered by that kind of conversation? What does that bring up for you? How do you experience oh. this information, these conversations, versus people who are listening out of pure entertainment or curiosity? I'll start with the abortion thing. It's bigger in my mind. I mean, it doesn't really... I don't feel threatened by it. It just, you know, it's very, it makes it just more, all the more interesting. You know, each abortion could be an adoption. Like you could think of those terms. I'm still trying to see how they all fit together. So what do you mean by that? But, I mean, adoption has gone down tremendously over the past 50 years because of abortion. Do you um, think that's good so or I, bad? I mean, that's already getting into the question. If you think adoption No, I'm is saying good. Do you feel bad for other people when you find out they're adopted, or are you happy for them that they were rescued from being killed? Um, wow. <laughs> I mean, it definitely dodged the bullet. I feel like because that's that's not a given that you feel like you dodged a bullet. I'm just putting it out there. What do you like for other people? Because some people might feel like. I would have rather not have this life. I, I don't know. Right, right. So, uh, well, I mean, also, I'm coming from more of a religious type of perspective on it, even though the halacha is, you know, there's lines and there's, there's degradations and there's, you know, there's rules and uh, when not to, when, when yes. So that's why I think my, my general outlook is you dodge the bullet, you know, like it's good to be alive, like even though it could be very hard. So I guess that's where I'm, um, going back to that question before where I brought up the episodes on abortion and infertility, can you comment on the infertility piece? Do you yeah. feel um, like people who suffer from infertility shouldn't pursue adoption? No, no, they, no, they should, they should adopt for sure. They should adopt. I just think it, I mean, it's very hard coming from you're trying to have your own child and you're trying and you're trying and it doesn't work and now you have to settle for adoption which is kind of like a second best so that needs that needs to be dealt with that that pain and that disappointment like you have to come to peace you know you have to heal from that if you want to be able to give your child you know everything you have to offer so yeah i think it should they should adopt understand that you're not getting a biological child and you know it's not going to be exactly the way you think and it's it's complex. It gets complex and um, you have to be willing and ready to, to look that in the face and be able to face it, you know, with your child or with yourself together. If I tell you now that my next interview today actually is also with an adoptee, a woman, well, and uh, it just happened that you're scheduled on the same day. So this will be a series. Is there anything cool. you'd want to express to her or to the audience? Any information like to spread by speaking today yeah in the adoption world at large right now like for adoptees adoptees are getting older they're coming into their own adoption is getting a lot of not such good press i would say 
Why? Um, because the decisions are being made against the best interest of the child. Meaning to say, what do I mean? Meaning closed adoption, for example, like taking away people's identities and changing their identities. That's something that is being very heavily challenged right now. And also the idea that adoption is just like a rosy fairy tale ending. Like that's the general idea of adoption, you know, like a baby gets a home. But the research and all the adoptees are coming out now and they're saying adoption is not perfect. And adoption means a child has gotten separated from their mother. And a big school of thought that it's a trauma, like that is a trauma. One of the famous books about this is called The Primal Wound by Nancy Zier, I think. So what I want to say about that is that it's okay. It's okay to feel trauma. It's okay, you know, not to feel stable and not to feel okay with adoption, you know, even though you've had a perfect life. And there's tons of support groups out there for adoption, adoptees in general, who they're talking about these things and, you know, how they deal with the trauma and how they deal with, you know, not knowing their background and how they need to be the son that to the adopted parents and they need to fill that role of taking care of their parents' pain. But that's okay. It's okay to feel pain in this thing that is adoption. And it's something that we have to heal from. My point is not to look at the world and see everyone's yelling. Like people are yelling, they don't want adoption anymore. They want adoption to be erased because it's like kidnapping. It's like, you know, just taking a kid away from his parents and it's not for the child's best interest and it's only being made for the birth parents' interest and for the adopted people's interest. I don't think that way. I think adoption is very good and, and I'm extremely grateful that I was adopted. But at the same time, there has to be a acknowledgement of the trauma and all the things that we're missing. We are missing a lifetime with our biological parents, something that's not gonna change. The same way my adopted parents saved my life. On the other hand, you know, my birth parents, I never met them. And that's something, you know, I'm gonna have to live with. I met my birth father first time, I met his gravestone. That was my meeting him. It's very hard. And there needs to be a way to process that and a way to discuss that with people and to have people understand you, you know, with a spouse, with a mentor, with a therapist, with whatever it is. But it's okay to feel to feel the negativity. And there is a way to get past it, I believe. So that's my message. Do you feel like the abandonment piece and the trauma comes out? Do you see it as an adult? Every every day. Every day. So give me an example. Anxiety. That's something I struggle with. I have a lot of different understandings about my anxiety, but I think the abandonment and the trauma is definitely in there. I don't know how it all fits together, but like we're t- having a family, I'm very worried about my kid, my, my boys, for no reason at all. That's something, you know, like maybe something's happening to him at school. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's this. Maybe he's that. Maybe a piano's going to fall on his head. Like these are all just like, you know, my brain is trained that things are not okay. And that's something that's very deep inside me. And I believe it comes from also from that trauma that they say, being separated from your birth mother, losing your stability. What happens to the baby when that happens? If you read the primal wound, then all that stuff is in there. So, yeah, 
I believe that the trauma is there. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for reaching Thank out. You. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you would like to connect with our guest and or join his support group, his WhatsApp group, please check out the email in the show notes. You can also message me directly and I will put you both in touch. Next week, join us for part two. I want to invite you to join the WhatsApp discussion group. Message me. I will give you the link to join. I'd like to throw in a shout out to Rabbi Johnny Salman one of our sponsors. In case you have been thinking of reaching out to him, I want to give you some ideas of questions that you may have that people go to him for. So how does one halakhically and spiritually negotiate a marriage where one spouse is observant and the other one is not? How should one spiritually respond to a personal or professional crisis? What halakhic compromises are justified for the sake of shalom bias? These are some of the topics or questions that you may want to reach out to Rabbi Johnny Salomon with. His information will be linked in the show notes. If you are still listening, thank you. So I have an idea I'd like to throw by you, and maybe you can help with some suggestions of who would be a good fit for this kind of episode. I'm looking for two exes, essentially two individuals who got divorced, who'd be willing to come on and talk about the process of the get and that dynamic. And let's see if we can get any volunteers for this kind of episode. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy Orthodox Conundrum and Chochmat Nashim, Intimate Judaism, and Let My People Eat, all podcasts on the Jewish Coffeehouse Network. Go check them out. The link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And see you next week. <laughs>